0: Madden Luke's Sa- Sa- tha- Sanctuary. Sanctuary.
1: The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the Samurai future to bring forth the unity of the Cosmic Shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, The Fountain. In the year
2: 2006, Hugh Jackman was making obscure little X-Men films, but then he made something really mainstream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Darren Aronofsky—it's like he's, yeah—he this he directed today's film, uh, *The
2: Fountain*. He's always kind of, since this movie, he's kind of teetered on the mainstream. He's a name you hear, right? Yeah, everyone's heard his name, but how many people have actually watched one of his films? I've
0: seen all of them but *Mother*.
2: Oh, I'm sure you have. <laughs> <laughs> and and you
0: in case being in this case being me is matt and i'm luke welcome to the sci-fi sanctuary we are getting deep into the fountain today uh kind of a well it's a pretty deep film um you know i I watched this when it came out and probably when it came out on dvd and i hadn't watched it since Mm. and um i know i I was like oh it's a really good movie i was like why haven't i watched it in so long oh because it's heavy
2: (laughs) (laughs) i remember it coming out and i had like images of it i guess from trailers and posters This was the first time I watched it but you say it's heavy it's one of those films that's as heavy as you want it to be yeah there's layers that you can just I'm not going to engage with that well it's this one story and maybe these bits are metaphors or whatever you don't really have to get that heavy. We, and then you, if you want to, you
0: can get real heavy. Well, we'll see how heavy we get, because we, we brought someone who is um, definitely willing to get into some of those layers of this film. Um, I had heard her on some podcasts, uh, and then I, I read a few of her books. So, uh, Von Galt is with us today. She wrote Buddhist Guide to Manifest Parallel Realities, Using the Four Noble Truths, An Eightfold Path, and Buddhist Mandalas, Explore Parallel Realities with Sacred Geometry. So if you want to get heavy into the fountain, uh, this, this is, uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us. You're want to do it with.
3: Yeah.
4: Hi guys. Thank you for having me.
0: And of course, no problem, too. thank you for joining along. I put, I, I am not holding my notes. I just do them digitally this time, but, um, weirdly, this was like an early date movie for, uh, my wife and I, <laughs> Okay. Well, now wife, we saw it, we saw it here in Japan and, um, well, she, she likes Hugh-sama. This is our first Hugh-sama film, isn't it? Hugh-sama? Hugh-sama.
2: Hugh Jackman. Oh, uh, hugh <laughs> of course. Yes, right. my wife refers to Hugh Jackman as Hugh-sama, because... Why does he get to be Hugh-sama, but Schwarzenegger is Schwar-Chan? No,
3: <laughs> no,
0: no, this, this, is,
2: this is just her. Just your wife. She okay. just really
0: likes Hugh Jackman, so he's Hugh-sama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: and, as well,
4: I said, he's easy to like. He's easy to like. I've watched a lot of his movies as well.
2: Yeah, I, li- I like the Hugh Jackman. Oh, I, lo- I pretty much love him and everything. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't yeah. have a problem with
0: my wife having a movie star crush on Hugh Jackman. That's, yeah, I mean, that's... he is a huge jacked man. So. A hu- yeah, sometimes. It's weird, the older he gets, the more jacked he gets. Yeah, it just, just eliminates
2: body fat. Yeah, well, you definitely eliminated body fat in this movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is a
2: <laughs> slim, cheekbonesy Hugh Jackman. And,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, Von, where did you first come across this film?
4: Well, actually, I watched it in the theater and when it came out and um i love the images the images kind of haunt you afterwards long after the storyline has been forgotten and the images really kind of resonate because i i was raised buddhist so i've i'm like 41 years old so i have a 41 i like guess t- technically 41 years of understanding um a lot of metaphysics through buddhism and when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, I, I know what that is. And that's your Merkaba, and that's sacred geometry. And the tree of life is in your DNA. And now it's just bing, 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 bing. And so it was just perfect. So, um, you know, I got that. But of course, I live in America, and all my friends, by the time that I was watching me, are going, what are you smoking, Vaughn? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a little bit ahead of the time and the area that I live in. So, but um, it's coming around metaphysics and sacred geometry we're understanding more of it and um, I wrote a bunch of that information in my book um, Buddhist mandalas explore parallel realities with sacred geometry and I would love to get into some of the parallels um, that the images that kind of haunt us about the movie the fountain that kind of touch on the metaphysical nature of um, our reality from the Buddhist understanding
0: and that's, that's where I am. When I saw the movie, I was like, whoa, this is trippy. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I didn't pick up on it. Um, and not having watched for 13 years, I, I started reading books on many of those things. And now watching it this time, it's like, whoa. So um, even with some of the Mayan stuff that's like, you know, kind of divorced from the Buddhist stuff. But it's all a nice little fusion of all those ideas here, I think. Yeah, yeah.
4: It's kind of funny that, um, you know, I always I always come with the... You know, The understanding that the universe or consciousness that is inside everyone um, and everything kind of kind of instead of kind of blowing your mind, kind of gives a little bit of a teaser, kind of like a little trailer of things to come. And so then you know a little bit more as you further along the journey. But the interesting thing about the fountain that is the nice parallel between the Mayan um, visuals and some of the imagery that represents a lot of the the concepts in Buddhism is that, um, you know, we had a funny year called 2012 and there was a lot of uh, paranoia around that and that's long done and gone. But 2012 is actually a year of change. It's um, in Buddhism or in the Thai Buddhist calendar, it's the year 2,555 which those repeat fives are um, a symbol of changes. um, But the Mayans have the the very similar belief that Buddhists and Native Americans and chiefs in the Pacific Islands and Easter Island um, and many of these indigenous cultures at around the same time were marking around 2012 as the end of a 26-million-year cosmic cycle of the Earth moving through its its, uh, rotation in our galaxy. So it's actually a real year, but it's not a year of ending. It's a year of welcoming a new dimension, a new energy to the Earth, which we believe is um, fifth-dimensional, but it's basically with a higher energy where we kind of enter into a space where things manifest faster, um, synchronicities happen faster, and if you really focus on your intention and the things that you, you want to do, um, things would just kind of happen in much faster accelerated rate because we're moving into further into a, a faster, higher dimension. And that's what 2012 signified. So the movie The Fountain was a nice little teaser into those parallels of the Mayan. Um, belief of the, the Year year changes and the Buddhist awakening ceremonies and the Native American awakening ceremonies and all the others as well. Um, the West was not tapped into it because they've been disconnected from the
0: source of the material,
4: but everybody else was. Everybody else knew what it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's
4: really funny about that imagery.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's. Well, we're definitely going to plumb into that. But first, Luke, I want to get kind of. This was basically your first time watching it. Mm. What was what was
2: your impression? My actual impression was much less metaphysical and more metaphorical How so? i so the way i sort of read the film was that the the modern day story of the man and his dying wife was you know true right and i read it as the two other stories were the two different approaches he could have to his grief mm. where the conquistador was desperately trying to find literal physical immortality in this world and then the sort of um the space hermit monk was trying to find a more spiritual acceptance kind of immortality and, and that, they were just, like, the two parts of his psyche during this one very grounded story.
0: Yeah, I guess that's one of the things about this film. It's, um, those other segments, it's hard to tell. I mean, they basically serve it to you like, oh, she wrote the book about the conquistador. Mm. But at the same time, maybe she's, you know, echoing
2: something from, like, a past life, you know? Well, the first time he reads the book, it feels like it It really transports him back to that previous existence. And, of course, the two of them are connected in all three times. So it, there is, obviously, that reading is available, but you can take it in a much less literal way as well. Right. And this is, I mean, I guess that's Darren Aronofsky's whole thing, right? Nothing is spelled out for you. But. Exactly. Damn. At some point, I'm going to call Noah sci-fi too,
0: so. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, the really interesting thing, um, and again, the wonderful thing about the the movie that kind of you know makes it kind of iconic um, is, that you can really go down the rabbit hole a lot of different ways and interpret it a lot of different ways, and so kind of hit, it hits a lot of boxes. But some of the main imagery, um, I can give you some perspective from the Buddhist imagery as well, because the Tree of Life, it um, in Buddhism is actually like a Buddhist mandala, or um, and basically the Tree of Life is one of The basic understandings of sacred geometry of the flower of life is one of the basic uh, formulas in the flower of life. And in my book, um, Buddhist Mandalas, I explain that all sacred geometry in all of the major religions, whether it's yin yang symbol or the toroidal field in modern science or um, Metatron's cube in uh, Merkabas in Judaism, um, or Sri Yantra in Hinduism—they're all touching on different ways of seeing the same exact sacred geometric form, which is the Tree of Life. Which is, which I've proven in my book scientifically, is your DNA. Your DNA is the Tree of Life, and all knowledge about all of everything in the cosmos is in your DNA. So, and that's the the scientific understanding of the Tree of Life, of sacred geometry. And when you put it all together, it's actually an energetic form that builds a bubble around you. and scientifically proven. So all of our wonderful different ways of seeing spirituality in these different religions are telling us the same thing, which is we are all souls having a human experience in our little Merkabahs, or bubbles. So... It, the, the image is actually quite accurate to the scientific understanding of our mandalas that we all travel in. And
3: I...
0: I I'm... I'm uh, I don't want to say out there enough, but I'm out there enough to have basically tried bubble construction on my own. Luke, how are you <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um... Well, I mean, I've done a little meditation at temples and stuff, but... Mm-hmm. but it, explain to me how you've tried bubble creation. Um
0: man it would take some explanation <laughs> basically you know a breath exercise visualizing um two kind of pyramidal shapes and working right. with that which i actually haven't been doing recently because i
2: haven't felt the need to okay so i guess i don't need to <laughs> i see the closest i've come to that is when i was learning to drive i had to picture inside my head the bridge of the enterprise like <laughs> It works. I had like, okay, so Mr. Sulu's on the steering wheel. Mr. Chekhov's on the pedals. Fox <laughs> on the. the gear shift, and That's that was pretty, how I was able to control it. Yeah. Anyway, this
4: particular. That is so funny that you bring up pyramids because um, I'm actually putting this in my second Buddhist Mandalas book that I'm rewriting and putting in, book two. Um, everybody is made of atoms, and all your atoms are a bubble. You can look this up in science. And each atom does not touch another atom in your body, but each atom is in its own pyramid. And they're nowhere
0: even close to the
3: others.
4: (laughs) It's not even close. It it looks like a city grid, but basically all your atoms are individual atoms sitting in its own pyramid next to each other, and that's what makes you. And they've already shown this. um, I think there's a German um university that has a 3d image of atoms in pyramids so um that's why maybe that's
2: why we all love pyramids so much because we recognize it as ourselves (laughs) we're in in day-to-day life nothing touches anything right correct when something (laughs) when something touches something else that's when you get nuclear explosions right
0: (laughs) (laughs) um i'm gonna just quickly read a synopsis of the movie because the idea here is people can you know listen to this or watch it so maybe they haven't seen it for a while so just to refresh them and, and sort of give them the viewpoint we're coming from so um here we go i basically took it and went linear because i guess that's how my brain wanted to go with it but...
1: you got us rapid to tell me alone. party season of the sun We're coming, crushing through your paper door. But rather watch the face of God's bus gold. Reality needs a mask. On webs getting spun on a tower of sun. Was never a joiner, nor a cog in the machine. Yet was rather a scribe, a firefly in the one sun tribe.
0: In the 16th century, Conquistador Thomas Verde is out in New Spain to find the Tree of Life. The Queen of Spain, under seditious actions by the Grand Inquisitor, has tasked him with this mission to achieve what may be heretical immortality. Fighting through the Yucatan, Verde loses all of his well-armed men and is forced to climb a Mayan pyramid to face his executioner, who instead recognizes him as the First Father? Verde passes by and reaches the tree of life, which which absorbs him into his undergrowth. Tom Creo is a modern-day experimental brain researcher whose surgery on monkeys has the ulterior motive of trying to cure his wife, Izzy, who is dying of brain cancer. His team manages some amazing breakthroughs, but not the ones to stop a tumor from growing. Izzy has been writing a book about a conquistador in New Spain, but tasks Tommy to finish it, as she is no longer afraid of her quickly impending death. Tommy's scientific team finally makes the breakthrough that may have saved Izzy, but only after she passes on. A future astronaut, who resembles both Tomas and Tommy, is traveling in some kind of space bubble, populated but by what seems to be the Tree of Life, its bark providing the only sustenance. It is in flight to the Mayan god star of Zilbaba, while our astronaut friend is haunted by the spirits of both Izzy and the Spanish Queen. While the tree does not quite survive to the destination, the ensuing supernova of Zilbaba vaporizes the astronaut while bringing life back to Izzy, who then passes on a sweetgum seed to her surviving husband to plant by her grave. I did. I mean, I got your metaphysical thing as well, but I was like, I'm just going to take it as literally as possible.
2: That's, that's one way. I mean, to go. Yeah, those are the events that happen in the film, right? But when you spell them out like that, you don't really get the the themes and emotions of it. That's kind of why I spelled it out that way. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the parallels um, that it has about showing the three different experience. I call them experiences instead of lifetimes. And also people take it literal like in a linear progression, but in um in the metaphysical space of of Buddhism, everything's happening at once, and everything is interchangeable and fluid based off of the now based off of your your experience of now so. What you see, perceive, do will change the past and it will change the future. And so, one that the wonderful thing about the movie, The Fountain, is that they show his past of trying to the conquistador, uh, trying to accomplish the mission, as well at the same time, his experience in what I think looks like nirvana because there's nobody else around he's in his own bubble in the spirit world beyond the spirit world anyway so there's that parallel experience and then there's the current time frame where he is the doctor and so it, it it makes a nice you know the nice thing about it is it touches on that concept at least when i look at it of parallel realities all existing at the same time, all interchangeable and all relying on one another to figure things out. And as they figured one one figures it out, they all all of a sudden have epiphany at the same time. And it all comes back to, at the very end, he's like, I'm not going to search anymore. I'm going to go out for a walk with my wife. So he finally realizes it's about the now. And by doing that, he changes all of the others at the same time. So it's um. For me, it's a metaphor of very, very um, basic beliefs in Buddhism and in a lot of um,
0: esoteric circles.
3: Yeah, I've heard, that's kind of how I
0: see it. I've heard people mention, I guess, the, the Buddha under the, the tree and, and some other people talking about having relatively enlightened moments of actually kind of passing through and rectifying past and future lives. So that's kind of interesting. I, don't, I, I haven't been to that moment myself, but...
3: Yeah. yeah, you
4: can get into that where you can kind of touch on like Mandela effects or personal Mandela effects and people going wait, that's not how I remember it and so what did they do in their present moment that all of a sudden changed the past and all of a sudden they're seeing something different uh, than they remember in like logos or experiences so it kind of gets into a whole different offshoot of parallel realities but it's a nice teaser <laughs> well, even, into that topic.
2: Even without going into actual parallel realities or physically adjusting the past the past only exists in our heads and they are not very reliable so changing your memories in a positive way and thing instead of looking back at this with regret i'm going to look back at it and take lessons is something we can do in the now
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly Exactly. And I and I think that's a very powerful message that he went through this whole the conceit or doctor went through this whole journey to the very end to realizing it's all about enjoying the moment and taking advantage of the time that he has now with his wife. And when he does that it
0: changes all the others at the same time. Well the more he fights into the temple, the more he uh, obsesses about his science the more out of control his responses become, where he's just screaming mm-hmm. at people. <laughs> so, he's trying to force the, the square into the circle. So I sort of mentioned he's, he was not, like, you know, floating downstream. He was, like, swimming against the tide in those moments, more or less.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they portray that very well in that he is... And in those moments, he's not a likable character. Yeah, you're kind of wondering...
0: Uh, I mean, I guess you assume that him and izzy were like a charming couple but it's like this guy's not charming
2: because he's obsessed and he's scared and you know he's worrying too much about the future we see brief moments of him being you know the nice husband which we presume he was before all this right and yeah when he tries to fight against it um so i actually i read up a little uh, interview with the director and he was talking about he visited and investigated um people who were dying very young And he said the thing he found was often the person who's dying accepts that a lot faster than their loved ones. Mm. And then for them, Mm -hmm. the frustration is that they've accepted this and want to enjoy the moment and everyone else is trying to fight it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are just going to take this as an entirely, the only part that's literal is the doctor and the wife, that's the message that he's trying to get across, Mm -hmm. is that the the correct ending is when he just goes for the walk with his wife. Enjoys them now. Let's make clear from the beginning in his is
0: space bubble.
2: Yeah, I I, <laughs> I I thought it was interesting mentioning the space bubble
0: as being kind of a nirvana because I remembered it being that way. Mm. But watching again, we we recently did the uh, film Silent Running where they have the the echo domes and one of them falls to waste. But it's it's nice. It's like nature and space. The. Um, Space bubble is very brown and mostly dead-looking because the tree of life is almost dead at the start. You know, Hugh looks like someone who's um, not doing so well at that point, or Tom, or whatever. Yeah, the life. He,
4: he reminds me of you know that children's book, The Giving Tree, where the kid just takes and takes and takes, and then the, the, he sits on the stump, and somehow the tree is thankful. Um, and you have two different reactions of kids. My daughter just kind of looks at the end, and she, just looks, she looks kind of disturbed, like, that doesn't seem right, and that's disturbing. And then you have the other reaction of some kids, are like, yay, I got it all. I get what I want. So, yeah, uh, in the movie, Hugh kind of reminds me of the kid that's sitting on the stump.
0: <laughs> we already, um, we've already been getting a little deep into it, but I guess we, we've talked about Hugh Jackman plenty of, but the, the actresses in this movie are of note as well um just just to quickly get on that um we got Rachel Weisz I assume I'm saying her name correctly but uh I think that's how it's said yeah yeah she was kind of like a like up in the in for a five year period it seemed like she was actually pretty much on track to be someone we'd see a lot uh she's in the mummy and the the sequel a few other things of course this um I like her quite well she's very good in this movie
2: yeah um more so than Hugh actually her two different characters are very different hmm um, whereas with Hugh, it it could be the same person in different costumes, the three Toms. Right. Whereas her, she plays you know literally the Queen of Spain. Yeah, and I, I assumed classic. it was supposed to be the same person three different times, basically. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas with sure, yeah. her, it's much more. You can really see the difference in those two different characters. Yeah. Hmm.
4: Yeah, I see this. I see that as well. Um, I, you know, I mean, what are some of the other imageries that really kind of haunt you guys after you, like. There's not like two or three for most people. The bubble is one. Yeah. And the tree of life is another. But what's, what's, what's for him, the other um, one? Kind of...
2: Running up the pyramid is very clear mm-hmm. in my head. That mm-hmm. image of him just from behind. The warriors are all at the bottom urging him on and he's just running up to, he doesn't really know what. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something that really hit me this time, which I didn't remember at all,
0: was the um the Inquisition executions. Oh yeah, that's he, he's just Oh yeah,
4: the parallels between the church He just snap yeah. talking
0: as they slowly
2: bring him up and then plop him all to the ground. I was like, whoa was... I, look, I grew up with a Catholic grandmother <laughs> and lots of horrific Catholic imagery, so <laughs> uh, I'm kind of desensitized to that stuff. But yeah, it's always really grim. Yeah. Especially like the Spanish Inquisition stuff. That's like the height of it.
0: Right. I I just yeah, it's it's no Mill Brooks Inquisition, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That one's got a nice snappy tune and everything. <laughs> yep. But that, that, uh, that one's it didn't stick in my mind, but it struck out to me watching it uh, this time around. Uh, yeah, you
4: saw a little bit more.
0: The other thing I, I really remembered, and I didn't even remember where it was in the movie, was simply being in the art museum looking at the Mayan exhibit. Yeah. I didn't even remember her collapsing. Uh, I, didn't, I, I remembered it was once she was sick, but for some reason, I guess being sick and being out in the museum stuck in my mind. Hmm. which is not a not like a vibrant image but you know it's interesting it stuck around that's something i definitely remembered uh having not watched this for
2: about 12 years and it, it was a little cheesy but the first reveal that they were operating on a monkey not a person oh yeah that was a nice little moment i forgot about that to be yeah. honest yeah I, I didn't see it coming and i was just like yeah. oh okay you got me film <laughs> like and... yeah yeah just the one other actress to give a
0: shout-out to, of course, is Ellen Burson, who was, I guess, kind of part of Aronofsky's crew at this point. Who's mm. the, I, I guess she's the um, director of the the
2: lab. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what position she was, but just her, her role was clear. I think
4: she was, like, the head, like, director. Yeah. Of the facility, yeah.
0: Just she's someone that was in Requiem for a Dream as well in a very, very, very
2: different role, so... okay. It's, you know, just <laughs> to... Throw out that she's quite a good actor. <laughs> but yeah. she she I, was very good here at in turns being very strict and very warm, where mm, appropriate. Being being real, yeah, human, very appropriate. Yeah, given very good performance.
4: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because like the um the director of this movie originally wanted to cast two different people as the doctor and as Lizzie. And um like I think Kate Blanchett was. Yeah, I think was it was Brad Sidney. Pitt was the was they, the other one? Yeah. Yeah, so so two A-listers, and for whatever reason, um, the stars did not line up for them to get that, and they got Hugh Jackman and um, Rachel Weisz as well, and I actually think that they do a better job, because they're kind of, like, deeper in terms of their essence than um, those other twos. Those other two are... Um, I still really get, like, a deeper connection. I do think Rachel
2: is a good actor, but I could never see him as a normal human being.
4: Really? Why so? Uh, he's... He... Too
2: handsome <laughs> <laughs> Like when Brad Pitt played Achilles, he was perfect because he looks like a Greek god. <laughs> but when he's meant to just be like a down on his luck doctor, I just can't see it. <laughs> My wife thinks Hugh Jackson looks like a Greek god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but one of the cool gods, you know? Like <laughs> he's like Poseidon or something, he's not uh, like one of the shiny ones. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs>
4: funny so his handsomeness goes against him
2: (laughs) for (laughs) likability yeah well he's likable but he's just not relatable Mm-hmm. that's yeah like in the 90s legends
0: of the fall i didn't really enjoy that movie because of that he was just it was too much and then he did 12 monkeys where he's just straight up crazy and you know that (laughs) that disconnect i guess so it worked well for a lot of
2: people to be honest so (laughs) yeah well yeah i like him in um he's fight club yeah because in that one he is like this Larger than life, well as it turns alter out. You know? yeah. <laughs> but,
4: yeah, yeah. yeah I did. I did enjoy Spy Club because I mean that, that was perfect because that you're well, you envision your alter ego, your ego. What would as a man? I mean that's I mean that hits a lot of the buttons for a lot of guys. It's got to be like so, super handsome, super everything awesome, so unrealistic. Um, but yeah, but no, I I I think I think the casting turned out really really well because. Um, it just kind of flows with the energy of the movie. So I, I enjoy it. I, I watched it for
2: this, and I like, oh, I still
4: like it. I, it's, I The same images still haunt me. Well,
2: it From... works for the same reason Hugh Jackman worked as Wolverine, in that you can look into his eyes and see just a lot more years there than are actually there. Mm. <laughs> He's just got a deep look to him. More experience here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. I guess, yeah, Hugh Jackman would... I, would definitely be an easier sell as the um, Zen um, Buddha, you know, it going
2: into Nirvana than Brad Pitt. <laughs> I feel like it would come across a bit tongue in cheek with Brad Pitt.
4: Yeah, I could see that too.
2: Yeah, he's also good too. in like comedies and stuff i mean i I don't know i haven't seen the version with brad pitt maybe it was a masterpiece but
4: (laughs) (laughs) oh maybe that's in an alternate reality we'll see how that one that might that that one might have turned out the other
2: thing when it was brad pitt and kate blanchett the film also had twice the budget so he had i think he had way more maybe even more different tangential stories and more effects shots Is, is
0: that where we ended up with so much chemicals and water for this movie which looked fantastic. Chemicals and water always
2: look good for your effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, like, <laughs> macro photography and stuff, not yeah. CG. No, I,
0: I know appreciating this at a time, because this was, like, you know, prime time CGI and everything. So, when I saw the fountain, I was like, whoa, this stuff doesn't look CGI. It was, was
2: quite nice. Well, yeah, we're, we're now at the point where CGI can look like that. Yeah. But in 2006, it couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I
4: you know, I, I think that everything worked out for a reason, because not... We don't really know how he would have used that extra budget. I mean, would he have used it just to pay the two leading well, stars more money? And you gotten the same yeah, more money and then you, you would have gotten the same effects or you know would he actually use it on the effects? Because whatever budget they had, it looked very organic. And um, I mean, you wouldn't want Nirvana or the journey of samsara to or you know all these metaphysical esoteric concepts or these imagery that they touch on to look mechanical. It wouldn't sell. Especially for, like, someone like myself who, you know, that is the space that you swim in.
2: One thing we often talk about missing is, I miss the days when you watch a film and you don't know how they did that. And for these kind of metaphysical things, that's what you want to feel. You want to look at the screen and be like, I don't quite know what I'm looking at here. And that is quite, quite a lot of what you get here Yeah the best I could do is chemicals and water
0: So yeah. <laughs> how they actually did it I don't know I honestly, since we started talking about this, I started thinking about this. Um, like in the last thirty minutes, do all three of the Tom Tommies or whatever start relatively unenlightened and become, you know, more enlightened as the movie goes? Because I'm even thinking Space Bubble Hugh, like he knows
2: what to do, but he, he's just too conflicted. Yeah, at the start of the film, he's fighting against the visions of Izzy. He's constantly taking from the tree. I think he I it does undergo a change. I think I'd taken um kind of layered on the cloud atlas thing where uh, in
0: that movie sort of we see each life like either evolves or de evolves. Right. But in this one it seems like they're all running in parallel order with each other.
4: Yeah, I would I would concur with that because um I mean it seemed like when they're you're watching it as one version has one epiphany; the others seem to have the same have another level of epiphany in their experience. So it's almost like they're all connected, and they're all having their own mini epiphanies at the same time. So when one evolves to the to the realization, they all evolve.
2: Well, yeah, the turning point is Tommy, right? The doctor, right? So he's the central one. He's the now character. Yeah. So <laughs> he has the realization to to go for the walk, which translates to the past version and the future version. It's not like the future version finds the conclusion and it goes back. Right. So I think gotcha, you're right. So. They are all finding it in their own different way. Yeah. Cause... Although, Thomas, it never felt like he consciously had the epiphany. He didn't want to turn himself into a flower bed. He just kind of <laughs> did it. So, right, but he... <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, you know that, that scene
4: was kind of like... It's a, it was I another bit of flowers and it's supposed to be kind of... Um, in, Easy on the eyes, but it's it, it's a little bit gut wrenching, you know, because, because all the flowers growing out of him. I like to think that the flowers that are growing out of him are impatience. <laughs> 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 they're annuals that can that are pretty fearless, and they um they're easy to handle. They grow everywhere, um, and so I think impatience are impatiently growing out of him.
0: <laughs> it's like i don't I, I don't want to judge anyone but he was a conquistador too yeah if, if they... you're going to find people i mean they're Historically
2: like, not the best guys you're maybe
0: one level under inquisitors or maybe at the same level considering what they did to the people out there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um maybe he was a groovier one but it's hard to call any of those guys particularly groovy he, he did kill a lot of people in this film. yeah yeah i mean he's, he's just um i read graham hancock he's usually a non-fiction writer but he wrote a few historical fiction books war God where he tried to do the whole core testings very good books but yeah him it's the same thing in the battle scene just completely brutal you know they're packed in steel holding steel you know with guys that, that are not wearing armor and have obsidian blades I mean there's no there's and, and there's no um, competition there <laughs> yeah
4: yeah you know what I really found interesting is um, kind of how they tied in from the conquistador past life to the present life where he's a doctor and they kinda of tie in like one like if you were to pre plan your life, your next incarnation, how what aspects of the previous one would you want to carry over? What things would you want to continue take picking up from before um and i know like i do hypnosis here in seattle and i i get clients that come in for different things and oftentimes what happens when i put them in hypnosis it um is that they will go to their different past lives and sometimes their future lives and there will be a pattern that will reoccur and oftentimes if there's a wrong in one lifetime that would carry on to the next lifetime and then on and on until they figure it out. Uh, and so I wonder if that concept in reincarnation is also filtering into the movie The Fountain, because
0: it it does happen literally in real life. Yeah, I, I think it does. But um, The Fountain has so much more, uh, so much as well, just about the connection of all the times. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned Cloud Atlas before, where it definitely shows those patterns very clearly. But it's all happening. You know, linearly over like centuries, whereas the fountain it's is definitely not linear storytelling.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, you you had to chop it up to make it linear, but in the film, it's kind of simultaneous.
0: Yeah. Simultaneous, yeah. Yeah, the flow of the story requires that it not be linear, which is yeah. kind, of, kind of why I wanted to break down my telling of the story as linear, just to mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just to separate the story and what's actually happening a bit. <laughs>
4: Yeah, you can tell the story, like the way I say is uh, whether it's linear or parallel is you can, you're telling the same story, it just depends on the vantage point in which you're looking at. So if you're looking from a vantage point of you see all three slides at the same time happening, all interchangeable, then it's parallel and happening at the same time. But if you take one view from one slide and then look outward, then you're seeing the linear aspect. So it's just different ways of seeing the same picture. Kind of like all of us, we're having different ways of seeing the same movie. Yeah,
2: something to think about. But yeah, to your previous point, because um, on one hand, you could look at it that the Conquistador was a killer and then the Doctor is trying to save lives. So in one way, he's he's changed. His his next life, he's doing the opposite. But his approach... It happens.
4: That usually happens in reincarnation. But his
2: approach to being a Doctor is still the approach the Conquistador had. He's constantly fighting. Mm-hmm. He's loyal. He's aggressive. He's not... He hasn't changed his approach. He's just the enemy he's fighting is now disease and cancer, not, you know, my own people. Yeah, the circumstances have changed. But his mm-hmm. character is still actually very similar.
4: Mm-hmm. Maybe he has an issue of control. <laughs> he's <to> let go. <laughs> or trying to control the outcome or just accept um, the reality and try to work with it. I don't know. You know, these it it goes into existential questions of how do you want to exist in your life, where which whatever life you're living.
2: So. I, I mean, acceptance I think is one of the biggest themes of the film, so that's definitely fair to say in all three stories.
0: No, I've,
2: I think maybe eight ten years ago, I I would say to people like. Man, I haven't changed
0: at all since high school. That's fantastic. I'm living my real right (laughs) now. I'm like, oh my god, that was like that's the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm true to myself. I'm the same person, but you can't be the same person. You're bashing. You can't be
4: the same person if you have kids.
0: Yeah, you're bashing (laughs) your head against the wall, right?
4: oh kids are a mirror kids are a mirror to you a living walking talking mirror so like oh, i got a sense of myself i don't want him to say that
0: <laughs> no, no that's right but i mean even even without the kids just uh just in general thinking you know like if you're the same person you were a year ago you didn't evolve
2: <laughs> yeah if you're not if you're not changing you're not improving yeah so <laughs> yeah
4: yeah that's true uh, you know do we think that that in this movie he he improved, he changed. I mean, obviously he did at the very end, but how many lifetimes did
0: it really take? Well, it took all three, like, in parallel. Three. That's the interesting thing in this one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know, should we talk about Izzy a bit? She obviously yeah, is a little more her. balanced. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> She's a supporting actress, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, she, a lot of times in the film, she felt less like a character and more like a motivation. Which was a shame. Exactly. Yeah, I did, exactly. ha- I did have the manic pixie dream girl um, run through my mind.
0: I guess this is the era of that. <laughs> yeah, a little bit.
2: But she does have a bit more depth to her. Oh, of course, of course. But... Well, and yeah, with what's going on and all that. So, And I think because what this film is about is about being... It's about the experience of someone else dying and how to deal with it. So it's understandable that it's not really about her. Mm. But in the grand scheme of cinema... There are a lot of films where a woman just dies to motivate a man. So I don't want to completely no, forget no. <laughs> that. Que- That's true, too. The queen,
0: <laughs> the queen directly gives him his mission. True. Izzy gives him a mission by circumstance. Mm. In the future one, Izzy and the Queen are trying to give him his mission, which is just take a walk, right? You're right. And he can't yeah. he can't quite hear it. So mm. it's interesting. Yeah, well,
4: it's, well see, what, what I found interesting about this is... Um, character is when he was a conquistador she was the queen and she said if you do this I will You, I will be your prize. Now he obviously accomplished that and she was his prize in the next incarnation in the doctor lifetime so he got his prize as that incarnation with the wife and then in that one her whole mission was to just accept her death and come for a walk and enjoy the now that you have now with me and eventually by the end of the movie he, um, he does do that and then, obviously, he had this epiphany in, the, in Nirvana, or the spirit world, whatever it, it is. So, it, it, you know, she does kind of push him, and he's always pushing back, but eventually, he gets there.
2: Yeah, in a way, um, it's like he shouldn't try to fight in the Doctor life, because he already won in the previous life. He's just meant to enjoy this one.
4: That's that's really, yeah, That that is really good interpretation. I would agree with that one. It's a really good pair. It really, really makes you kind of like some of the imagery. It makes you think about parallels like, oh, is that what we're doing in our life? Is that what we're always running around in circles, chasing our tail, and we just seem to stop and <laughs> pee in the bush or something, <laughs> or enjoy the water, or enjoy the air, enjoy, you know, it just makes you really think about some of these, um, these things in life, you know, What I always say and the one of the things that I got out of this movie is and again, you know, in my book, um, it goes over this a lot is that, um, you know. What I think Lizzie and also the doctor or Confucius or came to the understanding, and this is my understanding from this is that, you know, your soul having a human experience and however the he hu- Once the human fully realizes that, then their sixth sense has come online, just like the doctor did. And the leading edge experience is consciousness integrated into the physical body. So mastery of the matrix has already been exhibited by avatars in our history. And we know them. They are Buddha, Kuan Yin, Tara, Vishnu, Yeshua, just to name a few. So really the only question that, there is the answer that this movie attempts to answer, I think, is that are you ready to be a conscious creator of your journey through samsara? So, you know, with that, we can travel the stars and the multiverse in our Merkabas. And that's really what I got out of this movie. That's, that's the message I got out of it.
0: And everybody gets something else. Yeah, I found this, the, not smartest, but the, the better decisions I've made in my life are the ones where I really didn't think about it at all. I just kind of yeah. ended
2: up in Japan. I never gave it much thought. <laughs> I am kind of the opposite to you, though. Yeah? When I don't think about what I'm doing, I make real dumb decisions. <laughs> and I just drift. <laughs> I drifted through life for ages just working in a supermarket. And then I consciously was like, no, I'm going to go to Japan. And, like, worked like crazy for a year and flew here. <laughs> but um, it's a combination of having a goal, but just... Going with the flow towards that goal. Like in terms of where I am now, I got here on pure luck and chance. <laughs> but I had to work very hard to get to Japan in the first place to give myself that opportunity.
0: Yeah, I mean I guess well, I
4: had the example to do... of conscious creating is having a purpose and an intention and working towards it is is conscious creating. You're not doing it by blind luck.
2: But yes, yeah, I often find if I if I decide and believe in my heart I am gonna do something, things just sometimes just work out. Mm-hmm. yeah i guess i
0: had like an evolution like i worked a little bit away then a little bit away then another country let's try another country so right but of course yeah i'm working hard the whole time i'm saving so i'm not necessarily just uh dilettanting my way in but <laughs> but i guess uh, for the most part i've this is my uh, vacation life for me, I guess.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you guys must be really old souls, if this is your vacation life. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, think, I think this is my vacation life too. So I'm not really. Things kind of happen um, just naturally as well, you know.
0: And I, I could I could sit here and tell you a litany of things which make my life horrible, but I just don't really focus on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Focus on building the good stuff just how and then you paint your own life i mean i guess you could you know there there could be people living a fantastic life on the streets i mean i don't i'm not saying anyone should live on the streets but it's possible to do that and, it's, and of course it's possible to be an elite one percenter and be absolutely miserable
4: <laughs> Yep. oh actually that is so true i actually have hypnosis clients who are extremely wealthy and they hate their life and they want to kill themselves because they because they you know um, they fall into the 3d game so much but at the flip side i actually also have clients that come for hypnosis or that consult for their addictions and they're struggling with just kind of bottoms in their life and they they say that for their families to have wonderful happy lives and successes it gives them hope that they can go there too so if you if you have a good incarnation where you're not suffering that harm and everything is um, for the most part pretty good for you Um, you are living other people's dream and you're giving them hope so don't feel guilty that you're not suffering like they are and that's just from from, from, some addicts
2: again I I do have reasons to suffer I just choose not to (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's a problem a lot of people deal with today because with like the social media landscape and the news we're constantly hearing about how how hard other people have it, and there is a lot of guilt when people you stop and think oh, i don't I don't have this, I don't have that, I'm very blessed and of course, you should try to give back and help, but you can't constantly feel guilty for being happy
4: Yeah, so there's more there's a lot of games on the um the game board, and you don't have to play all of them, and you don't have to uh, fix all the ones that are broken as well. Yeah, it doesn't make you a bad person. I always say that. Um, if if it's attracted to you and you're like you fall into one for some reason, then maybe it's for you. But if it doesn't resonate with you, then it might not be a game for you to fix. So, for a movie for you to play in. You know, you can be a supporting character walking around through life. You know, putting a little bit of happiness here and a little bit there, and just kind of carry on with with uh, your storyline that you're doing as well. So it all interweaves anyways.
0: That came in uh, when we first emailed um, Luke's more the gamer and I but you were like oh I'm interested how this comes from a gamer perspective <laughs> I was wondering what what angle we were looking for in that because I thought that was an interesting statement
4: yeah 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 so it, it basically um the, the the very basic basic premise of buddhism in understanding our reality is, again, we are souls having a human experience. We're all energy, and these are just our sims. These are the avatars that we play. Lifetime after lifetime, we change our avatars. We change our sims. We change our stories. That's why in reincarnation research and stuff, you can always get that proven over and over again. But at the very end of the day, you go into the spirit world, and you can... Um, you have your life review, so you review everything that you've ever done from the perspective of the person that you experienced it through. So all your... Um, all your great achievements, all your triumphs, all your sorrows, all your pains, all your hurts that you do to other people, you feel firsthand as yourself. So your life review, if you spent a lot of time causing suffering, you're going to suffer without yourself. It's actually hell. But if you spent your life caused, um, creating um, happiness and support, and stuff, you feel that through them yourself. So it's a wonderful life review. It's heaven in that experience. But when you go to the spirit world, you get the choice if you want to do another round of the journey of samsara uh, if you want to do another game of life what do you want to be do you want to go with earth do you want to go to this dimension that dimension whatever there's a there's a infinite experiences that you can choose to have but if you're some people are completely done with experiencing, and they just want a break. They want the eternal slumber. And then they, at that point, they'll go to Nirvana, which is they get reabsorbed to the consciousness of the one universe of mine. Um, And and it's basically like a blue screen. It's just basically um, an internal happiness that they stay until the point where they decide, "Mm, maybe I'm gonna go back into the game or go back into the journey a little bit more and try something else. So, um, but that's the basic premise. Um and again it all goes down to we are a soul having human experience and the leading edge experience is actually spirit in the physical, um, integrated. Um and fully integrated is like you're you are the avatars of the matrix. You are the ones while the the six senses. It gets a little bit sci fi. So when you get to the advanced studies of Buddhism and metaphysics, it gets extremely sci fi, more sci fi than any of the movies that you could ever think of. So
0: So Luke's other podcast. I'm going to put you on the spot. You you do Thanks. Pokemon. Right. <laughs> Pokemon, of course, is a Japanese thing. It's influenced by you know kind of the Shinto concepts, which would wrap in mm-hmm. some, some Buddhism as well. Um, oh yeah. You want yeah. to riff
2: on that in any way? <laughs> well, it's it's a very Japanese idea that everything around you is alive, and that's that's what Pokemon draws on. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of Western Pokemon fans get really annoyed when there's a pokemon which is based on an inanimate object so there's a pokemon that's a sandcastle there's a pokemon that's a, um a teapot whatever but that's because in the western idea life and everything else are completely separate but in
4: yeah well they, in the western idea they don't necessarily know that it is actually all the same thing everything has consciousness even rocks yeah These have consciousness. Everything has consciousness. And they've proven that in science, both kind of heat technology.
2: Whereas in in the Pokemon world, it accepts that. And so you have to just be like, I am surrounded by life. And uh, one of the things I love about Pokemon, it's what makes the characters in that powerful is not physical strength. It's their relationship with these other creatures, with this life. And I think that Mm -hmm. um, maybe even the creators wouldn't say this is a conscious thing. But it is a very Shinto idea is what Pokemon is. Yeah, because I just thinking yeah. you could play Grand Theft Auto where you're just blowing people away and you know you might feel a little dirty in the end doing that. I yeah. often tell the story um, <laughs> I'm also a big fan of Transformers, and I remember I played the game that came out with the first Transformers film, and I played through the whole game as the Autobots and had a great time. I played the first level as the Decepticons and had to stop. <laughs> because at the end, I killed Bumblebee and felt really sad.
3: <laughs> You're like, no, not Bumblebee. I like yeah. Bumblebee.
2: <laughs> but for some people, oh. it's very easy to just, what is happening in the game, completely disconnect. Mm. <laughs> and it's just, oh, I just I just like the feeling of exploding things. You put some skin in the game. But, but yeah, yeah I, I always get way too attached. <laughs> um, interestingly, I don't know how much of a gamer you are, but the, my husband plays games. The the given word for that we use for the player character in a game is avatar.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: every time you said avatar, I was picturing like my character in Monster Hunter or <laughs> something.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, um, in in Buddhism and and, they, and again, a lot of Buddhism is influenced by other esoteric Eastern traditions as well. That's why many of them kind of you know meld perfect together. But an avatar is someone who understands the game. And they went through the final door where they got reabsorbed with the consciousness of the over soul um, or the universal consciousness, um, that energy in Nirvana. So they became an avatar of the game. They're actually part of the game makers. And it's really not a game per se. It's just a journey. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in modern terms, people
2: understand the words games and blue screens and, you know, all this tech stuff. But, yeah. It's the same stuff this buddhist language was absorbed into games and we started using words like avatar and now recently that language from games has started being used in the real world and i often see <laughs> online people they will the insult for someone who just follows the mainstream narrative is you know what we used to use like sheep or stupid words like that they will call you an npc a non-player character because oh. <laughs> the, the difference is you are an avatar who you know understands the truth and doesn't see the fake news or whatever or you're an npc you're someone who's not so it's, it's interesting how these things oh, come these acronyms and go.
3: are really
4: complicated <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: but yeah that's funny here in japan um shinto and buddhism are almost inextricably linked for a long time mm-hmm. a shinto shrine and a buddhist temple was the same building and it was only mm-hmm. after the meiji restoration where they desperately wanted a state religion that the government stepped in and separated and made Shinto its own thing. Um, until mm-hmm. around 150 years ago, the idea of Shinto was ridiculous. It was a thousand different local traditions. That this, right, this right. mountain is a god, this forest is guarded by this creature. And then they tried to step in and say this is one religion as a means of state control.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, Buddhism... Um... I I continue to reinforce to Western minds that Buddhism is not a religion. It's a spiritual practice of life. Uh, It's a metaphysical way of just seeing a full reality. And actually the the word Buddha is a Sanskrit word for Bood, which is to be awake. Somebody who's awake within the matrix and they see the game. That's Bood. That's a Buddha. So there's nothing religious about being awake within the matrix. It's just a scientific way of Working with the
0: reality. I had this weird thought last week. We're, we're sitting in Nagano, Japan. We're about a kilometer away from Zenkoji, which is sort of the home of Zen Buddhism in Japan. Now, Friday uh, is when I actually work in Nagano City, and I, I like to take a walk. And I'll stop at temples when I take a walk during my lunch. And walking around Nagano the past few Fridays, I was, it was raining or too hot, I didn't go to Zenkoji. So I was looking around for other places. And it's kind of hard to find one here, whereas I live almost in the countryside, and where I, where I am, they're just packed. And I'm like, wow, suddenly, like, my countryside area feels, like, denser than the city. Oh! <laughs> I, I can show you a few. They're just hidden there.
2: I found a few, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, or
0: they're by a busy road or something. Whereas you know, around my house, there's just it's just, like, just rice right fields, so, yeah. and then punctuated by temples. So
2: yeah,
0: <laughs> but in a way, I feel oh. it's more abundant in my my empty space than it is in the city.
2: <laughs> it's just less noise. Well. you. Uh, yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a blessing! What a blessing to be immersed amongst nature.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. No, we, no. we got the mountains like staring us down, so it's real nice. I mean, I, I then we've also got some construction work
2: today. Yeah, we're so
0: <laughs> <laughs> building a building next to this. But you're in the city. I'm the country mouse, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right on the border. That's how I like it. There we go. <laughs> but
4: uh, oh, you guys are old souls. Old souls usually like to be a little bit in the nature, a little bit out from the city. I, I, you want... I
2: find I really need both. So I, what? Some weekends it's just like I want to spend time with my friends. I want to go dancing. I want to put. And then another weekend I'll just be like, I want to get as far away from people as I can. <laughs> just be surrounded <laughs> you, you by trees. You have to have a balance. Yeah,
4: to be a balance. Yes. Yeah, I'm the same way. My husband's an '80s cover band, and um, they play in Seattle oftentimes. And so we'll go in there to Seattle, into the city, and then, um, and then uh, it's not Seattle's not like a city. It's not like New York or, or Tokyo. It's like a country city. But it's a big enough city for me. But then afterwards, I'm like, I'm so glad I live next to the water in a suburb that's like, far away from people. <laughs> so and there's a balance. There's a balance. Yeah,
0: I've been to Seattle once. I did like it. But I, I did have a kind of like just magnetic pull towards this particular valley for some reason. And I don't like leaving it much now. <laughs> like a hobbit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we like to get... When we run to the end, uh, how is the film holding up now? We we haven't even talked about the film in 15 minutes, which is fine (laughs) to me. It means there's there's enough here. I mean, it's a great film, but there's enough here that we got into lots of you know relatively deep topics. So it's it's a good jumping off. Well,
4: this movie really makes you. I think that's the whole point of the the movie The Fountain is to get you to think about these visual images that kind of haunt you. Um, And they make you kind of wonder and ask a little bit more about reality. So I think that's the whole purpose. I mean, otherwise they would just be not so visual, but they want you to have the the imagery. They want it to be haunting. They want it to burn in your memory, in your psyche to remember something. People don't, most movies don't put that much emphasis on imagery to really hit the mark unless it, triggers some core unconscious knowing Yeah. that that
0: they, they have, that they want you to have.
4: So there's something familiar with these images, and that's why they, I think it's so iconic.
0: And, and Luke, except for a Dr. Tommy's haircut,
2: did anything in this movie seem kind of dated to you? <laughs> I don't think this is the kind of film where the question is, does it hold up in 2006, does it hold up in 2020? It's, Does it hold up at the point you are in your life? Mm. Especially as it's an English-language film, big-budget American mm. film, um, mm. maybe in 2006 not many English-speaking Americans understood these concepts, were ready for these concepts. But yeah. I lived in Japan for three years, so a lot of this did make more sense to me than it might have done three years ago. So it held yeah. up because I watched it today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and as yeah, and I would I would definitely agree. Like I live here in in Seattle, and um, the West Coast, and other parts of the United States. As we get further in, you know, further into our experience in this art incarnation, I think a lot of Western and Eastern philosophies will start kind of um, melding. And people will start getting a, a wider scope of things. Um, and so some of these metaphysical metaphysic topics are going to find a new zeal, and people are going to go back and look at this
0: movie again with new eyes. Which I guess I just did.
3: Which I just did.
0: Uh, this time, uh, I said I'd stick uh, music tracks in here, and I have a track uh, with, with one of my collaborator who does a spoken word over, was Tree of Life, so obviously that's going to go in here somewhere. <laughs> do
4: it, do it, yeah, let's hear it.
0: But uh, Yeah, as we're winding down, I guess, so, Vine, um, can you tell people where they can get hold of um, your material? Oh, yeah! <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah. So, um, if you want my book, which is a twenty-year research project on the scientific understanding of your merkaba or the sacred geometry or tree of life that is in your DNA, that you are, um, it is it is this book, and it's beautiful. Kuan Yin in her merkaba, in her in her bubble.
0: Can you hold it sideways? And
4: Five, uh, yeah,
0: because I read it, but I read it digitally, so I never knew how long it was. <laughs> oh,
4: yeah. it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, um, the print version is about 399 pages. Actually, it's exactly 399 pages, which is it's funny because it's an ancient number for let go of things that do not serve you. And it's the back of it. So you read a pretty thick book. The digital version um, is obviously you can't tell what you read, how thick it is. But anyways, and it's got beautiful imagery of sacred geometry inside it. Um, uh, this, this is actually the bubble. This scientifically, this is the bubble that everybody is. Everybody's voice is an actual bubble. And when you cut it across, it is a mandala. It is Seiki So, anyways, you can get that book and many of my other books as well on my Amazon authors page. So, just look up Von Galt, V O N, and then Galt, G A L T, and you'll find that. Or you can go to my website, Merkaba Chakras.com, um, and that will have links there as well. So, and, you know, I'm only 41 years old, so there's going to be plenty of Buddhism books on the way. And I also have a podcast as well called Merkaba. Prakaba chakras as well, and we go over these different topics as well
0: and uh, I'll, I'll just say uh, I, I read both your books. the first one I read very quickly, and the second one took some time <laughs> I read a
4: yeah, tra- first one the first one is shorter
0: <laughs> and, well the second one I'd read a chapter, and I was like, okay, I gotta let that one um, simmer a bit before we go to the next before we get to the next one
3: <laughs> so
4: what how did you feel by the end by the time you finished the end? Did you feel like, oh, I just felt like I had a major download, now I need to sleep on it forever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I also I was reading at the end of a Kindle unlimited subscription, so I was like like at the end I was like, I gotta power through but I I made it, so I did did have to hit the accelerator at the end because I definitely wanted to to get through it and I'll I'll do another Unlimited sometime
2: but uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Luke we already talked some about Pokemon people might want to hear some more about it Uh, yeah if you want to hear from that podcast you can find me online on Twitter and Facebook at Luke Loves PKMN it's a little podcast Luke Loves Pokemon they're just 5 to 10 minute episodes where I talk about a different monster each week and the inspirations behind it often it turns out to be some kind of Japanese yokai or something so it's a fun little dive. And Matt has repeatedly plugged his music, but if you yep. want to listen to that you can find Matt's music online at rovingsagemedia.madcamp com. I wish he was at madcap, that'd be awesome
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> .madcamp <laughs> and I,
0: I always I always, uh, I torture myself by trying to spit out the letters for our podcast um mlsfspod at like twitter or something yeah that'll do I still look like I see but you can just
2: google
4: it I find you guys easy when you just google you can just google it and you'll find it as well there we go do that it's <laughs> <laughs> so much easier <laughs> but let the algorithm figure it out for us right
2: <laughs> if you let the algorithm do it then you're two clicks away from Nazis every time oh god you
4: know, I always end up an alien uh, yeah one or the other
2: <laughs> yeah <you> use google <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: thank you very much for joining us today and luke how are we going to send folks out of the uh sanctuary well von
2: you and the listeners at home can just please step outside and go for a walk
0: eh, that's that's what we're going to do i guess we're walking to work <laughs>
1: World. Party season of the sun. We're coming, crashing through your paper door. But rather watch the face of God's bus gold. Reality needs a mask on webs getting spun on a tower of sun. Was never a joiner, nor a cog in the machine. Yet was rather a scribe, a firefly in the one sun tribe. Was never a joiner, nor a cog in the machine. He was rather a scribe, a firefly in the one sun tribe. You pinch other deeds for absolution. I won't be the judge of that, as is the tree of life we've got to climb. Joy of celebration on the inside permeates ropes of life. Joining down the line in the skies of my mind. In the skies of my mind, it was never a joiner, nor a cog in the machine. He was rather a scribe, a firefly in the one sun tribe. It was never a joiner, nor a cog in the machine. He was rather a scribe, a firefly in the one sun tribe. Joining down the line in the skies of our mind. The skies of our mind. Skies of our mind.